0: This is the Steelers Standard on Steelers Nation radio and podcast on Steelers.com. Steelers Nation is getting their first look at the rookies in the 2021 Steelers draft class as OTAs are well underway down in the south side. And on this episode of Steelers Standard with myself, Tom Opperman, Jacob Brecht and Kellen Gursky, we're going to take a look at those rookies We're going to talk about the position groups, though, that they are coming into, kind of where they stack up on that depth chart, how high they can end up by the end of the season, or how far they can drop if things don't go their way. And you got to start at the very top, and obviously this is the guy that's probably going to dominate a good portion of this episode, and that is a guy we've loved talking about lately on Steelers Standard, Najee Harris, the first-round pick, pick number 24 out of Alabama. He comes into a running back room where his backup is Benny Snell and Anthony McFarlane and Jalen Samuels are kind of in a, I guess, if you want to call that a position battle for the third spot on that depth chart. Of course, they went out and got Caelan uh in the offseason as well. So there's another addition to that backfield. He's clearly going to come in, though, and be the number one guy. I, I don't even think that you need to – a beta position battle between him and Benny Snell getting on the field. It's it's the expectation for Najee Harris to come in, be the lead back, and it's not even just you're the number one guy on the depth chart and you'll get you know 60% of the carries to the backups 40%. No, there's not going to be a two-headed monster here in Pittsburgh for the most part. Benny Snell, of course, will have to get some reps and give Najee some blows, and knock on wood, hopefully Najee never gets injured and Benny Snell would have to step up. But it's a workhorse kind of back that the Pittsburgh Steelers want and Najee Harris is their guy. And honestly, it's a pretty thin room behind him. So a lot is just going to be thrust on the shoulders of the number 24 overall pick.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, that's something that we we've talked about a lot. And when you look at the Steelers running back group, um, it, it as you said, Tom, it's not very deep behind, uh, Najee. And, and maybe that was the Steelers idea, Um, You know, to bring in Najee Harris was, you know, we don't have, I mean, that had to be their ideas. We don't have much behind Najee, but their idea being, well, if this guy is as good as, you know, we're investing the number 24 pick in him, you know, we're expecting him to be the number one. We don't have to worry about the guys behind him. And that might not necessarily be a sound strategy considering, you know, injuries and things like that, hopefully knock on wood, that doesn't happen to Najee Harris. But at the same time, you know, you think about it, and and when Benny Snell is your backup, if you're Najee Harris, you're probably feeling pretty good about yourself yeah. um, in the fact that, hey, you know, this, you know th- this proud franchise drafted me. They think very, very highly of me. Um, and, oh, by the way, there's not really anybody behind me that is going to push me. Um, you know, I know I was one of the people that was banging the drum for, Benny Snell to be the starter in Pittsburgh last year, but obviously James Connor and and, and um and Najee Harris, they aren't the same player. And this that conversation dras- drastically changes um, when Najee Harris is the number one compared to Connor. Um, am I excited about the you know the backfield behind uh, behind Najee? No, but we might not have to be. You know what I mean? You might not have to worry about the guys behind him.
2: I don't think you will either. And the only reason you should worry about it is if something happens to Najee Harris. So, God forbid that doesn't happen. And when we talk about Mike Tomlin, the reason he went out and got Najee Harris, a guy like Najee Harris, is because Mike Tomlin is a bell cow type of running back coach. He's not a running back by committee type of guy. And great examples of that are. Le'Veon Bell, a great example of that. Now is Najee Harris as well. He's not going to want to just kind of swivel in some guys or filter in some guys if Najee Harris is getting first and down, first and second down looks, and then bringing a third down back. He's going to want Najee Harris out there for every single play, and because of that. You shouldn't expect to see a lot of J- a combination of any Jalen Samuels, Anthony McFarland, Benny Snell, or now Kalen Balage. Now, with those four guys as backups, I don't know which one doesn't make the team because, to be honest, none of those guys really stand out to me as a solid number two. But it really doesn't matter because, as long as Najee Harris is healthy, you really shouldn't be. Hopefully, we won't be saying uh, the names of any of those four guys much on this show.
0: Well, I guess then the question would shift to, do you believe in an offense that has a bell cow back in the NFL? Can that still really work? And of I course, think, and yeah, I think you look
2: you look across the league. You look at Dalvin Cook, Minnesota. You look at Chris McCaffrey. when he's healthy, and case in point, the best example you can give yourself is Derrick Henry in, in Tennessee.
0: Also an Alabama running back.
2: Also Derrick an Alabama Kennedy, running so. back, yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I think that if you have the right back, it can be – Still workable in the NFL. I, I don't think. I, I think you know when the Patriots won their Super Bowls, and you know the Eagles kind of had a two-headed monster as well when they won their Super Bowl. That kind of people who you know try to find little you know room in the margins to color in said, oh, you know you can you know exploit the system and get cheaper two backs that are average, yeah. and it's greater than the sum. Almost like a Moneyballish kind of way to approach the running back position. But I, I think if you have a top dog what Najee projects to be. But like, if you have a Saquon and Ezekiel Elliott, Derrick Henry, you're not going to take them off the field. You want them to be on the field because they don't only affect your running game. They're also so good in the passing game because they're one of the best athletes on the field, both on the offensive side and on the defense that's playing you. So if it's the right back, I think the bell Cal strategy is absolutely still applicable in the NFL. And I think it's smart for the Steelers to approach Najee's rookie year in that bell Cal mentality, because Hey, you, With the first running back taken off the board, we use the first round pick on you, number 24 overall. You know, we feel comfortable that you're able to take this kind of a weight on your shoulder, be a guy who's going to be on the field 85% of the time when the offense is out there.
1: Right, and, and I was you know, I know you, you guys listed some of the examples of, you know, number one backs. And I was gonna say Nick Chubb, but obviously their situation's a little bit that's different. That's a unique situation. That's a very though. unique they, situation. That's not their number one. Yeah, backs. it's not yeah, their yeah. fault
2: that they can't just throw Nick Chubb out yeah. there every play. Uh,
1: I mean, they're forced to kind of use hunt. I mean I say but— If they had to but... move on
0: from Kareem Hunt though, they'd be more than comfortable they'd be fine. throwing Chubb right. out there. Yeah. It's kinda um,
2: weird, don't you think, that with the lack of number one running back, solid number one running backs, they could get a lot for, I think, in return for Kareem Hunt.
0: Oh, absolutely. It's kind of like, I mean, D'Angelo Williams was nowhere near the level of Kareem Hunt, but it's kind of like... He got on the field when the Steelers had Bell ever so slightly just because he was such a good well, running back.
2: Well, you bring I mean, up D'Angelo Williams in the Pittsburgh Steelers uniform. I think of D'Angelo Williams in the Carolina and Jonathan uniform. Stewart, Jonathan tandem Stewart tandem. One yeah. of the best tandems in the league. Oh, yeah, so yeah you can, That's a different story, though, right.
0: when you get players of those calibers together but on the Benny same But Benny Snell
2: roster. and those guys aren't Kareem Hunt, aren't no. Jonathan Stewart, aren't D'Angelo Williams.
0: Exactly exactly it's not even like the the backfields of the new england patriots where it's sony michelle right. and james White, james you know what i mean yeah. and those guys are just slightly above average to average guys mm-hmm. who whole creates a good sum for that position group yeah it's not gonna be the case in pittsburgh there's no pieces around every like thing that the pieces around naji harris a snell a mcfarland a samuels can bring to the table their little unique swiss army knife things Najee Harris has that in his bag, all, of it, all yeah. of it. So there's no need to bring them on the field. No, except uh, for Benny Snell, of course, in the natural short spots yardage, where, and or if Harris is just eating and he's getting 15 yard gain, 10 yard gain, 8 yard gain, 9 yard gain. I mean, guy needs a little
1: break every right. once in a while, right? You yeah, need but, somebody to give him a blow. Well, there, Snell's there's no capable. Question. I think that's a good word for that. He's, capable, he's capable of doing that five carries a game. Yeah, I mean, and in, in, in situations if you don't want to use Najee Harris on. The goal line, which I don't know why you wouldn't because he's probably your best option to do so. At least but, you don't want him to get killed. Right. But, but my, Benny's I mean, got to
0: work on becoming a bowling ball just falling forward. Right. He's, you can't but I, just sacrif- I agree with you, Kellen. Like, why would you take him off the field? Because obviously he's the best option to plunge it in the end zone. Unless yes. Benny Snell takes a good long look, and beefs up in this offseason, and just which, becomes a short yardage guy.
1: I think Benny, I mean, I don't know. I, I think his situation is interesting because I think a lot of people were higher on him a couple you know i think 2 years ago than oh, they yeah. were last year i mean there was a shot he could have become the guy
2: yeah definitely
1: a, right and, and i mean i don't know I, I i think he's a he can be a fine short yardage guy or a backup in this league a, ch- a change of pace guy um but at the same time he still has a, a lot of a, a lot of stuff to prove he has a long way to go um because last year like i said i know <laughs> that uh, i was one of the advocates for him to 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 start over james conner in the beginning of the year but that isn't the situation anymore. He isn't even going to be close to become a starter. So, um, you know, not only do you have kind of a niche role, you know, if you're Benny Snell and you had kind of a niche role last year, um, even though, you know, you had to start a lot because Connor wasn't healthy, um, you have to really exploit your niche. If it is being a short yardage back, you have to be a really good short yardage back. You can't just be average because of the fact that, you know, when you look at Najee Harris, he's going to be on the field ninety. Three ninety-two percent of the time, um, so what I guess to your point, Tom. You know when you mentioned all of the backs that have kind of one thing to offer—the uh, Swiss Army knife. You know they have each have one thing. S- Samuel's more a receiver. McFarland's that fast, uh, elusive four—you know four three forty type guy. You really have to hone in on that one skill and make it your best skill because if you don't, well, I mean you look at Najee Harris. I'm not saying Najee Harris runs a four three forty. But he has all of that built in one package. Moving down the list, second round pick, pick number fifty-five for the Steelers,
0: Pat Fryermuth, tight end out of Penn State. Maybe a little bit of a surprise to some people when he was taken. I was with shocked. This pick. Uh, I think a lot of people thought happily really shocked, Once maybe. he took the running back, it goes back to offensive line in the mm-hmm. next couple of picks. But Steelers chose to wait on the offensive line picks and instead they go with the number two tight end in this class. Uh, the number one tight end, obviously, historic pick being coming the first tight end to be taken as high as he was, with Kyle Pitts going number four to the Falcons in the modern era. Fryermuth was the number two guy on a lot of people's big boards, though. Pretty much to the point where it was a consensus, this guy's your number two tight end. Steelers clearly felt like the void left by Vance McDonald retiring was something that needed to be addressed and it uh, did. ASAP. Yeah, Free agency was not in the cards, and... When Friermuth was sitting there at number 55, they snatched him right up. As far as where he sits on the JEP chart, I don't think he has to worry about a Gentry being right behind him. He's already sitting at that yeah. number two spot behind Eric Ebron. Uh, the thing that's nice about Friermuth, unlike Najee Harris, you don't have to put everything on this guy's shoulders. You can treat him more so like a rookie without just having him hold a clipboard for the entire right. of the season. He's going to get a lot of good experience under his belt without the pressure of being number one in that tight end room where You know, not only do you have to do the little things like block and make sure that you're just running the playbook correctly, if you're that number one guy, you're a massive part of the Steelers' offense as far as Ben Roethlisberger's being one of Ben Roethlisberger's targets. He loves tight ends, but that pressure is completely off of him. Eric Ebron, obviously, going to be that number one guy for the Steelers. And. Like I said, I think it's uh, – whereas nausea, I have complete faith putting everything on his shoulders. I think it's good to kind of ease Fryermuth into this situation. Right, and – I think it projects you want him to be the number one guy. I, Next I year because, probably, uh, yeah, probably. Exactly, because Ebron uh, – I mean, if he continues to perform like he did last year with the drops too, it will be an easy decision. But yeah, oh, absolutely. That's more money that you'd have to spend where Fryermuth as soon as you can get Frymuth as your number one tight end, that's three, four years on the cheap. Mm-hmm.
1: It is. And on top of that, too, you think that about the fact that Ebron just flat out doesn't block anybody. At all. Um, at all. And at least Frymuth can do it a little bit. Uh, I mean, he's not the best blocker in the world. He's got some things to learn in that respect. But at least he did it at Penn State. At least he can do it. I know blocking um, you know, defensive linemen and linebackers at college is a lot different than doing it in the NFL. But at the same time, he at least has done it. Um, Ebron hasn't blocked anybody. I I don't know the last time that he blocked somebody, you know, for the Steelers or in the NFL, whenever it was, because um, he flat out doesn't do it. So uh, when you look at that, you know, type of thing, when, when you look at the drops and you look at the fact that he doesn't block anybody, um, it probably makes the decision next year. Um, you know, the idea, I suppose, of, of having Fryermuth be the number one tight end, it makes it a lot a lot easier because of that. Um, and I think that is the plan. But as you said, Tom, this year I think is important to not to kind of ease him in because Frymey is going to play a lot. I mean, he really is. I agree. Right. Um, there's no easing in. No, I mean, there's no easing him in, but there's not the pressure of being the number one guy out there all the time. If it's just one tight end, more often than not, it's probably going to be Ebron out there. Um, and, and, you know, then again, if it's one tight end, you can maybe split Ebron out and then use – Friar as the traditional tight end, which I think we'll see some. Um, but again, you're not putting all of the weight on him, and I think that's a good thing um, because the tight end position des- desperately needed an upgrade, um, and, and we all kind of assumed that it was just going to be stagnant. Yeah, I mean, you were just going to go into the season, maybe bring in a free agent guy. I, it's obviously better. It's way better than yeah. where it was last Certainly year. Certainly
2: not a lateral move.
1: No, it makes you a lot better. And, and again, you know, I think that's why some people – um you know people were surprised by the move. I know I was and I'm a Penn State guy. I was really surprised by the move. But um it makes a whole hell of a lot of sense especially if Ebron leaves the next year, at least you still have a number one tight end.
0: Yeah, and again, I like the fact that he's not just going to be holding a clipboard on the sidelines, Colin, no. like right. you said, he's going to be expected to play a lot and I think he's going to be expected to be on the field blocking a lot too, which Man, if he can get that kind of repertoire under his belt, because he was a playmaker at Penn State, yeah, he was one of their biggest targets on the offense. Go side up of and get ball. it, type go guy. up and get it. I mean, there's a reason why he got this nickname, Baby Gronk. I have a feeling he won't be playing too much like Gronk yeah, in the NFL, right. but if he could become a Gronk level blocker and use this rookie year as a really good opportunity to just learn, hone in on that skill set and really develop it, put on weight. You know he's going to put on 15, 20 pounds once he gets into that weight room. And if he can just really focus on that part of his game and then when he steps into that number one role – just be an absolute beast in that aspect, yeah. but you know you're still gonna have the hands. I mean, I don't think that really leaves you, and no. you're still gonna be. What was his kind of the drop for a big play
1: kind of guy?
2: Didn't you say, Kellen? He had he had one drop or zero drops in the red zone his entire career, at Penn State. He Something might like have. That? I don't know
1: off the top yeah. of my head, but um, I, I think mean, I think
2: he is a pass catcher first, blocker second. That's what I mean. So if he can really sharpen up that second part of his right. game and blocking. And I think he'll have the opportunity to do so because as Kellen mentioned, you bring in a two tight end set, send Ebron out as the uh, flank guy and put E and put uh Fryermuth on the line that that leads to just an extra lineman right there. You don't, you can just use him as a decoy and send Ebron out as a legitimate receiver and just they, give him more of those reps. Yeah.
1: And they kind of did that last year with McDonald and Ebron too, when McDonald was healthy. I know McDonald wasn't all that healthy a lot last year. Um, but at the same time, if you do that with Friar and Ebron, I, I love Vance McDonald and he was a great pro. I mean, we never really saw the peak of what we all knew that he could be injuries played a big part in that, but um, I think Fryermuth is a much more versatile option. He's a much more athletic option. You know what I mean? It's an up that's why we keep saying it, it's an upgrade at the position, because even if um, you know, you have Ebron split out wide and you have Fryermuth in at tight end, um, Fryermuth's a much better overall option. You know what I mean? Like even though he's a rookie and he has some things to figure out, he's still at this point, I think a better option and it makes the Steelers offense a lot better, obviously.
0: I will say this too about Fryermuth before we move down the list. I guarantee you he has about two to three touchdowns this year for the Steelers. I a would warm, like to see that. A I don't know. How big many, ones in the red zone. How
2: many did Ebron have last year? Something like Ooh. six? He was a
0: pretty heavy target in the red zone. Ebron scored his fair share of touchdowns, and I think he's going to score his fair share of touchdowns this year. But I'm just saying, wouldn't it be surprised if the Steelers are in tight on the goal line, five yards out. Seeing Fryermuth pop open over the middle for just a real quick touchdown, yeah. one, two, maybe three times this season. So so
2: in the future, looking down the line, I know we're just talking about rookies, but rookie progression as they get older, the receiving core, including wide receivers and tight ends, is probably going to look like Deontay, Claypool, Fryermuth. I mean, yeah. we, Juju's probably going to be gone. James, James Washington probably could probably gonna be, gone. be gone.
0: He's probably going to be gone.
2: So it's those three. And, of course,
0: whoever is the new to face. Who Kevin I mean, Colbert will, will bring in, in yeah. yeah. Of course, there always will be. I mean, they didn't take that's a receiver. But
2: that's a good core to have as I'll receivers. say this, too. They didn't
0: take a receiver in this 2021 draft for the first time in a long time. I right. guarantee they'll take one in 2022. Draft. But
2: also, probably they did so because they had so much confidence so much. in Fryermuth just
0: as a receiver. Fryermuth as a receiver, but they also just had a
2: packed right. room at receiver. This is there probably the no most reliable— four guys that they've had in a long time. they didn't feel the need to go out and get someone even six-round. And if then it's on top of that, round. their fifth guy is Ray Ray. So they're perfectly right, yeah. content with that too. The number three
0: round pick, number eighty-seven overall, Kendrick Green out of Illinois, and we can kind of group him together with their number 28 overall pick in the fourth round, Dan Moore, because this is when they went on their run of improving that offensive line. With Kendrick Green, this is a guy that I said already feels in my bones is the number one guy. And I I think if you gave Tomlin and the coaching staff truth serum, they would say in their heads, in these OTA workouts, yeah. he's already the number one guy. He's the starting center. There's so many pictures on Steelers.com of him working with Ben. I mean, you can just feel the train leaving the station for that to happen. So Kendrick green round three pick going to step in immediately and be the starter at the center position in an incredibly important position uh, working with a Hall of Famer and Ben Roethlisberger, trying to be the uh, one half of that battery for his swan song. What a unique position for Green to be in, where his first year is going to be a Hall of Famer's last year. For the
1: mo- we all most soon, likely, yeah. yeah,
0: we we think that that's going to be the case. But a lot of pressure on him. But I think he's got the skill set and the talent to really make a transition into the NFL. And not be behind the eight ball at all. I think he'll kind of step in seamlessly. He'll be an incredible contributor. And I think that he'll really shore up that middle of that offensive line and add a nice piece between DeCastro and Dotson. Whereas when Pouncy left, you are losing a potential Hall of Famer there. And I'm not saying Kendrick Green's going to the Hall of Fame, but at least you're going to have an above average guy sitting there. And he's already above average with. Tons of room to grow, just being a rookie.
1: He's never played a game, yeah. an NFL game yet, and he's got tons of room to Who grow. In this
0: Pro Football Focus list, he's already in the top as far as right. centers are. Concerned. I mean
1: that, and that gives you a lot of, um you know, it gives you a lot of excitement that, that you know the Steelers maybe knocked one out of the park here, and they very well might have. I mean, there's a long way to go, and Kendrick Green mm-hmm. has a lot to prove before you know before it's all said and done. And you know, is he going to be a Hall of Famer? No, but you at least have some confidence in him considering you know you're hearing such good things about him already and he's never even played in, a, in, in an in an NFL game that gives you some confidence moving forward that that makes you feel a little bit better um and we've said it multiple times on the show he is the key to the draft um you know if he plays well it makes that draft look a hell of a lot better you know look what we got out of a, a third round pick this is why we you know we use the second round pick on Friar Muth and if Friar Muth plays well well then it, it it confirms it even more um and obviously it depends on what Najee does, but I think Kendrick Green's the key because if he plays well um and he kind of, you know, we've talked about the offensive line a lot too. And if, if they're not great, which none of us expects them to be, but if they're above average and he plays to the level that we expect of him, they should be an above average offensive line. And if they're above average to even good, I mean, this could be a really different offense. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but it definitely could if all these pieces work out together. I I
2: said a couple of episodes ago, just going down the entire offensive of line, saying you have two legitimate starters in Dotson and DeCastro. You bring in a guy like Kendra Green who's expected to start. Three out of five is pretty good, and as you said, Colin, that's already above average. I mean, average would be kind of two. I think getting to three, that's a little bit above. And then you bring in the combination of the tackle talent between those two guys, and you're sitting at three and a half, I think that's a pretty good shape to be in. If it's running backs such as Benny Snell and Jalen Sam is running the ball, it's a different conversation because those guys need as much help as they can get. With a running back like Najee Harris, this guy can do everything he can do despite the offensive line or how bad the offensive line could be. And in terms of pass protection, this was the number one pass protection unit in the NFL last year. And, yeah, not all starters are returning, but you're going to see a lot of familiar faces, and there should be no reason to think that that unit is going to fall from number one all the way to bottom 20 or something like that.
0: I think a really underrated aspect, too, is Kendrick Green is going to step in at the center spot, and he's, for the, for what we can hope for, going to grow with Kevin Dotson for years and years to come, and they're going to form a nice guard-center tandem. And on top of that, he's got a veteran Really, borderline Hall of Famer, again, probably won't get in, but yeah. definitely looking into that Steelers Hall of Honor down the road and David DeCastro to learn from playing on that interior of the offensive line. And I know that DeCastro played guard, but, you know, you can still take a lot from a guard if you're a starting center in this Absolutely. league and learn a lot from him. So I think that, you know, you got on the one side a potential Tandem that can rule the inside of NFL offensive lines for a decade-plus if Dotson reaches his potential and Green reaches his. And then on the other side, you've got the veteran that can really bestow a ton of wisdom onto both of those guys. So that interior part of that line is great. It's that exterior, those tackle spots. Those are the question marks. Banner and Chooks are the starters going in. That was what the Steelers chose to address in their number 128 overall round four pick. Dan Moore, the offensive tackle out of Texas A&M. I mean, he's six, foot six and he's 311 pounds. He was ranked the 12th best tackle in the class, so, I mean, not terrible. No. Definitely not in the upper echelon, but definitely someone that could become a starter in the NFL one day, or a contributor in the NFL one day. Um, he just has to be physical enough, and he can probably find his way onto the field as early as week six, week seven of this season. I think that... If he's not going to supplant Banner or Chukes as far as the starters are concerned, I think being that swing guy is certainly on the table for for Dan Moore. I think that if injuries happen too, he'd be a guy that they wouldn't be afraid to have step up. I, I don't think that they would skip him over. And you know, Joe Haig is a guy that they brought in in free agency to kind of fill that swing role. Yeah. I don't see any reason why Dan Moore couldn't set his sights on catching Haig in the depth chart and becoming that guy, that next man up by as early as like I said middle of the season almost this year
1: right and I mean that's you know there's reason to believe that of course um and that's probably the idea in the Steelers drafting more I know that you know a fourth round guy most of the time is is more of more towards a project I know fourth round guys can start and they do a lot of times in this league don't get me wrong um but I I think yeah, I mean, I, I think... Kevin Dotson was taken in the fourth round right, right.
0: seven picks later than where they took Dan Moore. So right. don't think it's far-fetched to think that he could make his way onto the field.
1: No, it's definitely not far-fetched. Um, and I, I think I think he can push Haag. And again, uh, I mean, we don't really know that much about Joe Hag I mean, I know he was on the Super Bowl winning you know, uh, Buccaneers you know, last year, but does that necessarily mean that he's a better player or whatever? No, but I, I mean, there is reason to believe that he... Definitely could push Haig for the swing tackle guy. Um, I mean, you look back to to Zach Banner, that's what he started as. And not to say that, you know, we know what Zach Banner is because we don't. But, you know, it's an interesting situation for Dan Moore. I think, you know, he at, le- at the very least will have a shot at playing in his rookie year. And that's, you know, that's not a bad place to be in, especially when you're a fourth-round draft pick. I just
2: think that it's a good sign that all three of these first-round picks have the potential to be starters, and then you bring in the fourth-round pick in Dan Moore and say also, depending on what you see out of him, you could also get a starter out of him. That'd be an incredible draft class, if you ask me. Four guys in the first four picks all being starters, legitimate starters within the first year or two. I think it's a pretty good draft class.
0: I think it also is nice to put a little bit of pressure on a guy like Chooks or even a guy like Banner in a way. I think Banner's probably a little bit safer than Chooks, though, uh, Do you? just in my mind, because the way I think about it I, is— I would
2: feel it's the reverse.
0: Really? Because yeah, I think Banner me. won the job last year when yeah, the line was, was exactly. better. So, yeah, so I think Banner's safer. That's what I'm saying. Like, I oh, think I thought you were saying Chooks was safer. No, okay. no, no. Okay. I think Banner's in a much safer spot than Chooks. I think the next man to fall out of that starting rank for someone else would be Chooks. And, you know, they've had Chooks for about four or five years now. This is now— getting to be prove of time and they pick a guy in the fourth round that could very well be your replacement so you know I think players can step up in contract years and I think players can step up also when they see a threat behind them on the depth chart so I, I think it could be a win-win situation here where maybe Dan Moore coming in and just excuse me showing what he can do motivates Chooks to take it to that next level and bam you've got your starting left tackle or Perhaps Chukes falls off a little bit, and you've got a guy in Dan Moore who can come in and step in those shoes and play a significant amount of that tackle position for the Steelers in 2021, even.
1: Yeah, and I think that's the situation you have with either tackle. You know, I know you said that you think um, Banner is the safer one, and, and that's fair. But if either one of them don't play well, you kind of have uh, you have two options really when you look at Hague or you look at um, or you look at. Um, damn more, you, you you have two guys that could fill that role if need be if if either one of them don't pan out, whether it's Banner or whether it's Jukes, you're in a good situation, not to say that those guys are are better or will be better than chukes or Banner, but you at least have a replacement in mind. Well, there's still a lot
0: more meat left on this bone, but we are out of time for this episode. So if you want to listen to the Steelers' next five draft picks and where they fall on the depth chart and that position group in, general. You're going to have to tune into the next episode of Steelers Standard because that's it for this one. You can check out all of our former episodes at Steelers.com. We'd really appreciate it if you gave them all a listen if you haven't already. But for Jacob Recht and Kellen Gursky, I am Tom Offerman. That's going to do it for us. Thanks as always. We'll talk to you next time.